welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. It's wonderful. I appreciate that. All right, if you, um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Judges. Judges chapter 11. We don't preach much from Judges, uh, but when we get to it, um, uh, we, 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 we want to be true uh, to what the, what the Word says. Uh, we've been in our series in Acts uh, for the past several months, and we're just kind of taking uh, a little break, uh, taking some uh, time off of Acts, a couple weeks off of Acts, and Jared will be back on it again next week. Um, but I, I've been praying about uh, what I want to do. So when, we, when, you, when you're given a, a task as a preacher— uh, to say, hey, hey, preach whatever you want to preach. Uh, sometimes that's a little bit more difficult than it is, here's what you're going to preach. Uh, you know what I mean, right, Jared? Uh, it's sometimes a little bit more difficult because you're like, well, I got the whole Bible. I got 66 books to choose from. I've got to choose something. So we went with Judges chapter 11 uh, for a good reason. Um, and you'll see that reason today. Um, we have a new influx of babies uh, in our uh, in our congregation, we have our one of our newest, our, I think our newest baby back there, Nolan, um, uh, Adam and Camille are back there, um, and it, this is an awesome thing to see brand new babies in the church, proud mamas, proud daddies, proud grandparents, uh, just beaming from ear to ear, uh, and the little baby snuggles, the way that the newborn smells, you know, you, you hold them up, parents, you know what I'm talking about, and I'm not talking about after they have a blowout diaper, I'm talking about when you're holding them, you're snuggling with them, and you smell their little head, it's just wonderful, it's great, the newborn smells. Uh, there's questions that often come with newborns, right, um, and uh, one of the funnest questions uh, that we got when we had our first child, Isaac, uh, 11 years ago, it's been 11 years, oh my gosh, babe, that's, uh, that's, Time goes by quick. All right, so it, it, the, the, one of the funnest questions that we got uh, when we had our, our son uh, was, what is he, right? Because we didn't figure out what he was. We, we, we were going to be surprised. We knew he was a baby, but we were going we to be surprised whether or not he was a boy or whether or not he was a girl. And when you walk out of that, that, when we walked out of that delivery room, I don't know, it was like at midnight, past midnight. We were one of those uh, inconsiderate couples that had their their babies like right in the middle of the night. And so we we it was right after midnight, and our family was just leaning over. Oh, what did you have? What did you have? What, what, what is it? What is it? And we said we're proud to announce our baby boy, and everybody's like, oh yeah. You have some wearing blue, some wearing pink there. Wonderful questions, right? You get some other questions too, and I'm sure you guys have experienced these questions. Uh, you have the pool going on, like what date is the baby going to be born, right? Um, uh, maybe you have that special date in mind. You take a little, little bets of what date he's going to be born, what time he's going to be born. Uh, uh, you, you have, uh, how big was he when he was born? How big, how big is your baby? Uh, how long is your baby? I think, but, but one of the, the, the main questions one of the funnest questions uh, that we have for new parents is, uh, who does the baby look like? Who does the baby look like? Does the baby look like mom, or does the baby look like dad, or does the baby look like a good mix of the two? Now, so this could be subjective because some people say, yeah, you know, it looks like mom. Some people say, yeah, it looks like dad. And then always, but without fail, the grandparents will say, oh, no, that baby looks just like me when I was a baby, right? So the grandparents will take claim on that. And uh, But uh, I, I was, we had the privilege to go um, hang out with Adam and Camille a little bit this week. 
over at the house and uh, got to hold baby Nolan. Uh, got to get some of those baby smells, right? And, uh, and so we held Nolan, but there's no question about who Nolan looks like. Nolan is Camille's spinning image. If you go and look at Nolan after the service, you'll see that he looks exactly like Camille. And, and, and so it got me thinking, okay? Um, who, do you, who do you look like? Who do we look like? Not, not, not physically, but who do we look like spiritually? Who do we reflect? Who do we resemble spiritually? And this is why we're in Judges chapter 11 this morning, because this, the, the main ideas of this passage uh, can cause us to answer that very question. Who, who do you look like spiritually? And, and really, there are two answers to that question that we'll look at in a little bit. But in our passage today, we'll look at a judge. Now, whenever I say judge, I don't mean like courtroom judge, adjudication type judge. The Hebrew word for judge here means hero or savior or deliverer. Okay, so this is, we see the book of Judges, think hero, savior, deliverer, right? It's those terms. So uh, we'll see a hero, a savior, a, a deliverer today. Um, uh, and we'll see some points of his life. We'll see some points of his work that he's done. And we'll find out who he resembled and who he looked like. Um, and this time, uh, Israel was really in turmoil, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make all that connect. Uh, this morning, what I want to do is I want to make you ask a few reflective questions. Uh, and the answers, the honest answers to these reflective questions should answer the question, who do I look like spiritually? Who do I reflect spiritually? So um, since we haven't been in the book of Judges, I'm going to give you a, a tiny bit of background. I ain't going to make it too long, all right? Uh, but a tiny bit of background. We're in Judges chapter 10, Judges chapter 11. There's a cycle that goes on in the books of, book of Judges. It starts with Israel's rebellion against God. So Israel, they're in the promised land, they rebel against God, they turn and they start worshiping the other gods of the era, the Canaanite gods, right? And, 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 and God gets so aggravated and so mad at them because he, he, and oftentimes he throws up his hands and he says, you know what, you want to worship those gods? Let's see how that works out for you. And it doesn't work out so well because they end up under oppression, under, under harsh rule, uh, they end up uh, getting their lands taken over. Uh, and then, so Israel finally has enough of this, this uh, of this cycle. And they say, Lord, please help us. We've sinned against you. We repent. And God is so gracious and so merciful. He sends a hero, a savior, a deliverer, a warrior to, to deliver them from foreign oppression. And then he brings peace to the land. All for Israel to do what? To turn from him again. And this happens at least 12 times in the book of Judges. At least 12 times in the book of Judges. We, our story this morning, our judge this morning, comes about seven or eight times. And this time's worse than the previous times. Because not only is Israel turning away from God and turning to the other gods of the of Canaanite area, but now they're worshiping any god that they will find. The God of Sidon, the God of Moab, the gods of Syria. They're worshiping literally every God. They're worshiping gods like all willy-nilly here. All right, They're worshiping every God that they can find. And this angers God. And they cry out to God because they've been under oppression for 18 years. Because they've turned to these other gods. They cry out to God, God, we've, we've sinned against you. Come save us. And this is the only time in the book of Judges. This is the only time that God says, you know what? You cried out to all these gods. Let them save you. And he lets them stew in it for a little bit, right? You ever did that with your kids, parents? Uh, they got themselves in a mess, and you don't get too far, but you say, you know what, I want you to learn your lesson. I want you to stew in your consequences for a little bit. And, and this is what God is doing. 
and they cry out. And, 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 and the Ammonites are this, this pagan nation that is pressing up against Israel. And they are moving their way up into Israel and starting to take over different lands. So within our passage this morning, we have two groups of people. The Ammonites, with the, which are the pagan people. Uh, the people that are not God worshipers, that are not God fearers, that are taking over the land. And then we have the people of Gilead. Now, the people of Gilead are Israelite people. They're, they're, they're related to the tribe of Manasseh. They're on the east side of the Jordan River, but they're Israelites. So these are two groups of people in our story today in Judges chapter 11. And uh, the Ammonites uh, just were closing in on Gilead and, and, and the elders of Gilead. So they come together and they say, we've got to do something about these Ammonites that are coming in. They're taking over all of our lands. And... There's a problem, though. We don't have anybody that's qualified. We don't have anybody that's a warrior. We don't have anybody that's experienced in fighting. We don't have anybody that's experienced in warfare that can lead the charge against the Ammonites. And someone speaks up in the elder meeting, and they say, but there's this one guy. And then the story shifts like a movie. The story shifts from the elders, and it shifts to this particular guy. Uh, and this is at the beginning of chapter 11. And his name is Jephthah. Now, Jephthah was a son of Gilead, but he was also the son of a prostitute. And because he was the son of a prostitute, Gilead outcast Jephthah and disinherited him, disowned him, and rejected him. And so Jephthah, he goes and he finds these ba- this band of, the Bible says, worthless fellows or worthless men. And he starts to go on raids, like pillaging raids. Uh, Jephthah, he starts killing people, he starts stealing things, uh, and he's pretty good at it. He's like the, 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 the warlord of that area of that day. All right. And so the, the elders of Gilead flash back to them. The elders of Gilead said, Hey, there's this guy, Jephthah. He's from Gilead. I know we've cast them out, but he's really experienced at fighting and he's really experienced at warfare. He's really experienced at taking over things. So why don't we ask him to lead the charge against the Ammonites? And so they do. They go to Jephthah and they said, hey, would you lead the charge? Would you be our leader? And Jephthah said, why would I do that? You've kicked me out. You've disinherited me. You've disowned me. I'm not going to do that. And then the the people of Gilead, the elders of Gilead say, uh, well, if you do, We'll make you our leader. If you do, we'll give you riches. If you do, we'll give you comfort. If you do, we'll give you security. You'll be accepted. Not only will you be a part of the people of Gilead now, does that sound good? And Jephthah says, I'll take that. I'll do it. So he goes to the Ammonite king and he tries to make peace with him first. He tries the right thing. He goes and he says, look, you know you're, in, you're you know you're taking over our territory. You know you're you're encroaching on on us. He says, "This is our land. Why don't you go back to your own land? Your own God will will, will make sure that you keep the, keep the lands. Our God will make sure that we keep our lands. Let's just let's just peacefully separate." And the king of the Ammonites say, "No, we're not going to do that." So the battle is imminent, and this is where our story picks up uh, in Judges chapter eleven. Um, Today, I want us to see that in his desperation, when we look at Jephthah, and today, and I want to see that in his desperation, Jephthah turned to the ways of the world. He did not follow the ways of God. And I want to see that when Jephthah looked no different than the world around him, it cost him his future. It cost him his legacy. And I want you to know this morning that when you look no different than the world around you, it will cost you your future. And it will cost you 
your legacy? And that's the question. What, what kind of leader is Jephthah going to become? I'm going to give you four reflective questions this morning. That are the main points today. We're going to pull them out of the text. We're going to ask the questions. And these questions are worded in such a way that they're strange. Okay? I'm just warning you straight up. They're strange questions. And I'm going to explain them as we go along. But they're, they're strange for purpose. They're strange to get you to remember them. So, I want you to take out, if you have your bulletin, <laughs> take out the little insert in your bulletin. Where you could take sermon notes on. If you don't have that. Grab the little connect card in front of you and turn it over and write on the blank side. Or if there is a blank side, I don't know if there is. Find a piece of paper to write on or take your phone out and write these questions down because these four questions are going to guide us through our sermon. I'm going to give you these questions to you straight up so that we can go to uh, go, go through them. Number one, the first question is this. What's your reason for getting out of bed in the morning? What's your reason for getting out of bed in the morning? The second question is this, and if I'm going too fast, you'll get them because we're going to go back through. Second question is this, what guides you? What guides you? Third question is this, are you a shadow? Are you a shadow? And the last question is this, what's foreign to you? What's foreign to you? What's your reason for getting out of bed in the morning? What's guiding you? Are you a shadow? And what's foreign to you? Let's take a look at this first question. What's your reason for getting out of bed in the morning? Let's read Judges chapter 11, verses 29 through 31. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, who traveled through Gilead and Manasseh, and then through the Mitzvah, uh, and then through Mitzvah of Gilead, he crossed over to the Ammonites from Mitzvah of Gilead, and Jephthah made his vow to the Lord. This is what he promised the Lord. This is the deal he's making with the Lord. Okay? If you, in fact, hand over the Ammonites to me, whoever comes out of the doors of my house to greet me when I return safely uh, from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord. I will offer that person as a burnt offering. Now, I realize that some of your verses may, some of your versions may read different things. I intentionally chose this CSB today, um, rather than reading from what I normally read from, which is the ESV. And the ESV, the NASB, the NIV, the NLT, they all say the same thing, that whatever comes out of my house, I will sacrifice it to the Lord. CSB says, whoever comes out of my house, I will sacrifice him or her to the Lord, or that person to the Lord. Now, I've translated this myself from Hebrew, all right? There is, and and the implications in all of this is that he is talking about a particular person. You are going to see that in this text, I promise you. You will see that in this text. He is talking about a person. He is talking about not just like my dog comes out of the door, okay, I'm going to sacrifice my dog. Or my little sheep comes out of the door, I'm going to sacrifice my sheep. He is talking about a person, a human being. We can see that Jephthah is eager and he's desperate to win this battle. So desperate, he's willing to give the life of another person to win this battle. He's ready to offer up a human sacrifice for whoever greets him in his estate. When he comes home, he's, 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 he's willing to, uh, to, offer, to offer that person uh, as a sacrifice. 
But the question is this. This is the question that I have when I read this text. Why? Why? Why is he so eager? Why is he so eager to win this battle? All right. So let's talk about some reasons why he might be eager to win this battle. Is he eager to win the battle because he wants God to liberate his people from the bondage of oppression? Is he so desperate to win this battle because he loves the name of the Lord and he wants to see it spread among the nations? And I'm going to tell you the answer to both of those questions is probably is an emphatic no. He's not concerned with the people of Israel. Remember, he's a warlord outcast. He's not concerned with them. He's not concerned with the name of the Lord because in his, in, in his dialogue between him and the king of Am, uh, Ammon, the Ammonite king, he equates Chemosh, their top god, to the god of Israel. He's not, he's not concerned. To him, they're all the same. Does that make sense? To him, they're all the same. He doesn't really, he doesn't really care. So why is he so desperate to win this battle? Because if he won, his place would be restored. Think about it personally. If he won the battle, his place would be restored. He would be leader over Gilead. He would be set for life. He would attain to an inheritance to pass down from generation to generation after him. His motive is clear. He desired inheritance. He desired acceptance. He desired power. He desired comfort. He desired position. He desired uh, to make a name for himself, plus everything that went along with this. So we can't look at the judge, at the hero, and at the warrior, or at the deliverer of Israel at this point, and say that he's got pure motives. In fact, all these judges in the book of Judges are pretty horrible people. A lot of them are. And, 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 and Jephthah, he's, he's got this, this uh, motivation about him. Like, he just wants to look out for me. He's concerned. He's concerned about himself. So who does Jephthah look like in his motives? Well, he looks like the world, doesn't he? After all, the world seeks self-glorification. In our culture, it, it's all about the individualistic mentality. You know what I'm saying? And the question is often like, who are you to tell me what I believe, what I do, the way I act, the way I think? Who are you to tell me that that's wrong? That's the culture's mentality. The cultures of our day, that's their mentality. If I identify as a tree, who are you to tell me that I'm wrong for identifying as a tree? It's my truth. It's relativistic truth. Am, Am I right? This is how the culture is going. And this is how the culture basically is. It's individualistic, my, my desires, living out my dreams. And look, this is not just about a liberal agenda. This is all over. This is ingrained within every human heart because it's all about my dreams, my passions, my desires, my success, my identity, my wealth, my comfort, my children, my house, my job, my American dream. My, 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 my. All about mine. No one touches mine. This is what I live for. Mine. And this is how Jephthah thinks. This is how the world thinks. But I want to look for a second at the other side of things. Do you remember? Brittany actually read this chapter earlier. This is, I love how God works like that. We didn't even plan that. Right? So, do you remember how Jesus, he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane? 
Remember what he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane? Just a few hours before his brutal murder and death on the cross, the wrath of God being poured out on him. Do you remember what he prays? He says, Lord, if you are willing, this is going to be hard. This is going to be tough. This is going to be the hardest thing I ever do in my life. If you're willing, please, please let this pass for me. I don't want to do this. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus wasn't concerned about his passions, his dreams, his identity, his wealth, his self-exaltation, his fill-in-the-blank. He was concerned with the Father's glory and meeting the needs of other people, wasn't he? Well, that's not all the way true because his passions, his dreams, his identity was all wrapped up in his love for the Father and his love for other people. Jephthah and Jesus look completely different. See, your motive It's about what your heart is bound to, the main thing in your life. I recently took a ministry survey, and this is why we asked the first question. I took a ministry survey, and it asked, uh, what what makes you get up in the morning? What keeps you going throughout the day? And I thought about that. Okay, what got Jesus up in the morning? Jesus obviously slept. What got Jesus up in the morning? What kept him going throughout his entire day? And he actually gives the exact answer in John chapter 4. He says, my food, my nourishment, what, 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 what I receive, like, my joy from is to do the will of the one who sent me. That is what I get up in the morning for. That is what I live for, to do the will of the one who sent me. This is what he lived for. This is what he died for. So who do you look like in your motives? Let's bring it to us. Who do we look like in, in our motives? Do we look more like Jephthah? About me, me, my, my. Or do we look more like Jesus? Do we look more like Christ? Or do we look more like the world? What's your heart bound to? What gets you out of bed in the morning? So if you ask yourself that, and you honestly answer that in reflection, you'll have a good idea of who you, who you look like. The world or Jesus. A follower of Jesus is defined by his love for Jesus, his adoration for Jesus, and... His denial of self-glorification. I'm going to say that again. A follower of Jesus is defined by his love and his adoration for Jesus and his denial for self-glorification. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says it himself. If anyone wants to follow me, he must do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He says, forever, whoever wants to save his life. In other words, whoever wants to make life about me, 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 my, 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 my. Whoever wants to do that, whoever wants to live for himself or herself here and solely himself or herself here, whoever wants to do that, whoever wants to save his life will ultimately end up doing what? Losing it. But then he says, whoever loses his life, whoever turns aside the self-glorification, whoever turns aside who's willing to, to say, you know what, your will, not mine. Whoever does this, whoever's willing to lose his life, for my sake, Jesus says, for me, will end up finding his life. Jephthah's response should have been, Lord, make your name known in the nations around us. Make your name known in our nation. And instead of Jephthah saying, if you do this for me, God, then I'm going to get all the power. I'm going to get the recognition. I'm going to get the identification. I'm going to get all these things. Instead of saying that, Jephthah's response should have been, Lord, make your name great, and I will gladly give up 
all this position, this power, this authority, these riches, this comfort, this security, all these things I would gladly give up if your name is known. And that is what we should say as Christians, right? As Christians, as we go about our lives and as we, we, we are motivated, what gets us out of bed in the morning, not what gets us out of bed in the morning is, 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 is me. Lord, give me this today because, um, I want to be known as this. I want to be, I want to be uh, greater than everybody. I want to have the most money. I want to have the most power. I want to have the best, the best position. Instead of saying that, we say, Lord, I get up today. I make your name known and I will give up, gladly give up position. I would gladly give up power. I would gladly give up self-exaltation, my time, my security, my comfort, my fame, so that Jesus would be known by all. Amen? That is a prayer to, to, for us to pray. That is an attitude for us to have. We don't always have that, do we? But that's the one that we should shoot for. That's the one that should, should help us to get out of bed in the morning. The second question is this. What guides me? I would travel with my uh, grandparents whenever I was young, uh, back in the early 90s, all right? Um, for some of you, it was like, that's young for you. And some for you, it was like, oh, that's forever ago, right? So back in the early 90s, I would travel with my grandparents in their Buick um, uh, luxury car, right? And me and my brother would sit in the, uh, in the back. And you know how they have like the, the pocket that attaches to the back of the front seat? That's where they would keep their map. For anybody that was born after like 1998, are the things that you open up? It's not like the thing you open. Up. It's an actual physical piece of paper that you open up on your uh, and, and look at the roads and everything like that. And that's what would happen. My grandmother would pull out the map. She would open it up, and she would be navigating my grandfather, uh, who would be somewhat kind of listening to her directions, right? And so, uh, could you imagine? The point is, is could you imagine using one of those today? <laughs> like uh, we're, we've become so accustomed to like just putting in our GPS and let letting our letting our car tell us where we got where we got to go, right? Um, I love those things. Those, are, those things are awesome. Those things are great. But could you imagine like pulling out a map and like looking like a map from like 1970 or a map of like 1980? If you if you went to a place that's been updated a lot in the past few de- decades, you would get utterly lost <laughs> if you use the map instead of the GPS. Sometimes you get lost with the GPS. But if you, if you use a, a physical map, sometimes you would get lost. See, Jephthah here, we're bringing it back. Jephthah, he's using the wrong guide. He's using the wrong map, so to speak. He's making a vow to God. And really what he's doing with God is he's trying to cut a deal with him. He's trying to persuade God so that he could win the battle. More on that in a few minutes. But he does offer, what does he offer to God to try to persuade him? He offers another human life, another human sacrifice. And human sacrifices were pretty common back then in other religions, not in the Jewish community. There has been three times, or at least three mentions that I know of, somebody more scholarly like Brother Jerry could probably correct me on this, but at least three times that I know of in Israel's history, that a human sacrifice was even mentioned. One is Abraham and Isaac. What did God do? Stopped it and provided the lamb or provided the, the ram in the, in, in the thicket, right? One was the issue that we're looking at right now. Jephthah sacrificing a human sacrifice to God. And the other one was a human sacrifice, the only human sacrifice that, that God was pleased with. And that's his own son, Jesus Christ, right? It's three times 
that I can think of a human sacrifice. And talk to Brother Jerry after. He can probably correct you on that. All right, so Jephthah, he's, he's, he's taking part in what other religions are, 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 um, are doing around the area. He's, all the Canaanite religions, they sacrificed their own children to God if they were desperate enough to either win a battle or desperate enough to do something, desperate enough for rain, desperate enough for whatever, they would sacrifice a human being in order to appease their God and their God would supposedly move on their behalf, right? This is not what God wants, but Jephthah offers this to God. And this tells you how bad it's actually gotten in Israel at this point. The whole point of the book of Judges, if you flip through it, if you glance over it, you will see, I promise, the sentences. That is the main point in the book of Judges, that when there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Even the judges did what was right in their own eyes. So Jephthah, he takes his... This vow, this promise, I'm going to sacrifice a human being to you in order for to win the problem. Or in, or in order to win the, 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 the battle. The problem is, is that Jephthah's using the wrong map. He's using the wrong guide. See, the, the, the practice of human sacrifice is what the world did, not what God's people were supposed to do. Now, we aren't necessarily sacrificing people today, that argument can be made in our culture today. What are our gods? Our little G's. I'm not talking about Muhammad. I'm not talking about Buddha. I'm not talking about all those. I'm not talking about supernatural gods that people, other religions worship. I'm talking about what are the gods here in our culture? Is it not comfort? Is it not security? Is it not um, uh, self-exaltation, self-preservation? Aren't these the gods of really our culture? And can you think of a human sacrifice in our culture, in our day, in America, that's made in the name of these gods? Um, abortion, right? Name in the, it made in the name of the God of comfort or security or convenience. But you're not going to sacrifice human beings, are you? But it does hit deeper than this, than just mere human sacrifice. Sometimes we're, we're, we are tempted to follow the ways of the world so that we can uh, uh, have what the world has. Does this make sense? Sometimes we, 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 we go after security or we go after comfort or we go after money or we go after the latest gadgets or we go after all these things. And there's really no different worshiping those things than it is foreign gods in Canaan. As we, we put that at the, whatever, listen, whatever is at the seat of the emotions in your heart, whatever is the seat of praise and desire in your heart is your God. And there's a lot of things that can be put there. Do you look like the world because you're guided by the world? That's the question. In your desires, in your practices, in your lifestyle, do you follow the same gods? Do you think about the same guys that the world thinks about, fame, money, security, new gadgets, desire to be liked or loved, comforted, uh, comfort. Uh, these have and always have been the gods. So in Jesus, I want you to think about the flip side of this, all right? So I'm giving you two perspectives here. One is the way of the world. One is obviously the way of God. I mean, you think about when Jesus is, 
is, is tempted in the wilderness. Do you remember this? Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, and the devil comes to him and says, turn these rocks to stone. And he takes them on top of a temple, jump off, the angels are going to take care of you. And then the last one, he takes them on top of a high mountain, shows them all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, if you bow down to me, I'm not going to resist you now. If you bow down to me and worship me, you'll have influence over all these kingdoms. And Jesus answers him in that last one. He said, uh, or uh, it, he answers him in the first temptation of turning the stones to bread. How does he answer him? He quotes Deuteronomy 8, doesn't he? And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And here's your guides, guys. Here's your maps. <clears throat> this is the difference between a 1980s map of an updated area and your current GPS system. You can either follow the way of the world or you can follow the way of God. You can either follow what the world desires and seek after those things, or your guide can be what? The word of God. The Bible, that is our standard. This is our standard. This is what we go by. This is what we follow. Ask that question. What is my guide? The world and the world's desires or the word of God? Third question is this. Let me get through these last two a little bit quicker. Am I a shadow? This might be the most Weird question of them all. Am I a shadow? Am I a shadow? We lived out in the country. This is not what you think, I promise. We lived out in the country. And when we lived out in the country, we lived right up next to a swamp. And it's not uncommon to see loads and loads of water moccasins around. How many of you like snakes? How many of you like dealing with snakes? Oh, I'm not a snake person at all. I hate snakes. Every snake. Is, is, is a good, a good snake is a dead snake. Is that, is that what they say? A good, the only good snake is a dead snake and a king snake. We, we let those live because they eat other snakes. They're cannibals. So when I lived out in the country, we always used to have a bunch of water moccasins. We had, it would be nothing for me to work out outside all day and to kill at least three or four snakes every day. And if I really tried, I could, I could kill at least 10 every day because we lived right next to, I'm talking, there was like water moccasins everywhere. So one day, I'm working on this bridge. Um, I'm repairing the bridge uh, in our community, or in our property. And so I'm working on this bridge, and Levi, at the time, Levi and Isaac uh, were young. My two oldest boys, they were, they were small. Uh, I, Levi was probably no older than Danny, I don't think, well, about four years old, maybe three or four years old. And I let them play whenever I'm working outside. I let them play outside. Uh, but as I'm working on this bridge, I hear this blood-curling scream come out. And my dog, Shadow, this is what you hear, am I a shadow, all right? My dog, Shadow, a, 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 a big dummy dog, uh, he goes crazy, like just barking. Roo, 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 roo. So I'm like, I'm like, what, what was going on? Like, did this dog attack my child? So I drop whatever I had in my hand. I run over to, to Levi and, and it wasn't shadow that was attacking. There was a snake that was curled up, ready to strike at, at my then what, three-year-old son or so, ready to strike at him. Like it was, he was backed into a corner. Snake felt, felt threatened, I guess, was backed into a corner, curled up, and was ready to strike. And that dog jumped in between my three-year-old and this snake. That's a good dog. I love that. That, that. that immediately became my favorite dog. He jumped in between them two. That dog, Shadow, he was willing to take the bite for my son. He was willing to risk his life for the safety of my son. That was a really, really good dog. And here in, in this passage, 
Jephthah is doing everything he can to win this battle, but he's following the custom of pagan religions to offer up a human sacrifice. And it's easy to see Jephthah, who Jephthah looks like at this moment, right? He looks like the world. That's that's pretty pretty obvious. But let's take a look at someone who's who's in in contrast to Jephthah. I'm going to relay that shadow story in just a second. Look look with me, or just listen, to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Paul writes, Adopt the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even a harsh, humiliating, self-lowering death on a cross. There are all kinds of parallels in Scripture, uh, which are really neat. I love to look at those parallels. And this is one of them. The Hebrew word for judges, or for judge, is shofet. And it means savior, it means deliverer, it means warrior. And based on the scripture that I just read in Philippians, is there a warrior? Can you think of another hero? Obvious. Can you think of another hero, another savior, another deliverer in scripture that sought the salvation of God's people? Duh. Jesus. Right? Jesus. But the main difference between Jesus and Jephthah is this. Is that Jephthah was seeking God which would subsequently result in the salvation of God's people. But he was seeking God at the expense of someone else's life. Jesus sought the salvation of his people by giving his own life. That's the difference. Jesus said, Father, I'll do happily whatever you want me to do. I'll glorify you at the cost of my humiliating Shameful death. My dog Shadow was willing to give his life for Levi. Be a shadow. Be a shadow. Am I a shadow? Be a shadow. Of these two biblical examples, who describes you best? Jephthah or Jesus? Who describes you best? Are you willing to to put aside your own gain? Are you willing to put aside your own Glory? Are you willing to put aside your own um, uh, uh, your own accolades? Are you willing to put all that aside for the sake of other people and for the sake of God's glory? Or are you willing to go after those gains and use other people, not not being not caring who you use? That's that's a, that's a question that we need to ask ourselves. My shadow? Am I willing to give my life? For Christ and his glory. Am I willing to give my life for people that God loves? The last question. We'll be done. What's foreign to me? What's foreign to me? This is sad. This is a really sad thing. Because Jephthah, he goes into the battle. He prays to God. God, if you let me win, I will sacrifice whoever walks out of my door. I will, the first person that greets me when I come home, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to burn them burn up. Offer him as a burnt offering to you. It's pretty sad in and of itself, but it's even sadder. Jephthah goes and he wins the battle. Why does he win the battle? Because God was like happy about that human sacrifice? Absolutely not. Look at look at the at the beginning of of chapter eleven. The spirit of God was on Jephthah, and in verse twenty nine, the spirit of God 
yeah, in verse 29, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. That's why he won. Don't think when the spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah that he's somehow like New Testament, like filled with the spirit. He's not a man that's filled with the spirit. He's the exact opposite of it. He's not a man that's filled with the spirit of God. What this phrase means is that the spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah means that the Lord has empowered him to win. The Lord empowers plenty of people even people that don't love him. He empowers them to complete his mission and to complete his purposes. And this is what God empowered him to do, to win against the enemy, to set God's people free, because God is faithful to his covenant and God is faithful to his people. Amen? Jephthah goes home after he wins the battle, and he's thinking that a servant's going to come out. He's thinking that maybe one of those worthless men are going to come out, and he's going to see them, he's going to offer them as a burnt sacrifice, not... Nothing about it. But as he's walking home, imagine this little girl looks out of a window and she sees daddy. She sees daddy walking up. Daddy hasn't been home for a while because he's been fighting. He's been in battles. I missed my daddy so much. I'm so happy he's home. I'm so happy he did not die. I'm so happy he's safe. The little girl grabs her tambourine in scripture, she grabs her tambourine, she runs outside, and she plays a little music for him, and, and if she's anything like my daughter, my daughter does like a little happy dance, and she's probably doing a little happy dance for him and everything like that, but Jeff is not happy. He's weeping. He's sad. Why is he weeping? Because he had no clue that the person would come out to greet him would be his only child, his own daughter. He thinks Jephthah thinks that he has to follow through with the command. That's the sad thing, is he thinks he has to follow through with the command. He did not have to follow through with the command to sacrifice a human being. He did not have to. Because our God is not like the gods of this world. Our God is set apart. He's compassionate, full of mercy, full of grace. Now, these uh, vows to these other gods, if you were vowing to sacrifice a human being to these other gods, yes, you would have to follow through in in those sacrifices, but not to our God. Not to our God. In fact, Scripture gives provision of this. In in Leviticus chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 12, Leviticus chapter 5, the, the law says that if you offer a sacrifice or if you make a vow that is going to cause someone to sin against the Lord, Instead of completing the vow, you can just take an animal and sacrifice the animal in its place, and we're good. We're good. It's, 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 it's wonderful that God even thought of their stupidity ahead of them and said, you know what, I'm going to provide a way. I know they're going to make stupid promises. I know they're going to promise dumb things, and I'm going to provide a way out. But Jephthah is so unfamiliar with God. He's so unfamiliar. And I want to look what happens in the end of verse 39. So he comes home and he's, and, and he's sad. And so he sends his daughter away for two months with her friends so that she can live her last days in happiness. And look at verse 39, the beginning of it. At the end of two months, she returned to her father and he kept a vow that he made about her. He did the deed. He sacrificed her. He offered her up as a burnt offering. Jephthah's not familiar with what the law says. He's not familiar with God. All he's familiar with is the ways of the world. All he's familiar with is the pagan rites and the pagan rituals. That's what he's familiar with. That's, that's what he's at home with, is the ways of the world. And the saddest part about all of this is that the, that is that the heart of God 
was so foreign to his own people that they couldn't see what God really wanted. God doesn't want loss of human life. God wants their hearts. He was after them. God, they could not see that God was for them. They could not see that God was committed to them. They could not see that God loved them more than anything in this world. He loved them. And they missed it. They didn't see it because they were so wrapped up in what the world wants and what the world's standards were. What about you? What's foreign to you? What's strange to you? Are the ways of the world foreign to you? Or are the ways of God foreign to you? Is sin strange to you? Is talking about Jesus and talking about being madly in love with Jesus a strange concept for you? The answer to that question will help you see what you look like, the world or Jesus. I remember when Jesus was telling his disciples, look, I'm going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to go die. I'm going to suffer at the hands of Jews, of the Jews and of the Romans. They're going to kill me. Three days later, I'm going to rise again, but this is what I got to do. Remember what Peter does? Peter jumps up and he takes him aside and he rebukes him. And he says, um, God, in the flesh, you're mistaken, you're wrong. <laughs> what, what arrogance Peter has. He says, you're wrong. The Messiah is not supposed to die. The Messiah is supposed to conquer. The Messiah is not supposed to die. The Messiah is supposed to conquer. And Jesus says, looks at him strangely. And he's like, why are you talking like the devil? Why are you talking like the world? This is what the world would say. This is not what God says. This is, this is strange. This is foreign. This offends me, Jesus says. Or Jesus implies here. Jesus, Peter didn't get it because he was so obsessed with what the world's thoughts about these, this were. What's foreign in your home? What's foreign in your speech? What's foreign in your relationships with the people at work, with your friends? What's foreign in these walls? Is loving God, talking about God, being passionate for the things of God, waking up in the morning, being motivated by who God is, is that strange to you or is that, is that, is that at home with you? That's a good, good self-gauging question to ask. Jesus said you can't follow him unless you give up the love for the world. You can't serve two masters. So this is what the question is, bottom line. What's your heart bound to? What's your heart bound to? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? Is it for security? Is it for comfort, relationships, money, power, status, acceptance, success, fame, likes and shares? Or is it to love, to know Jesus and to make him known? And I want to I read this to you. This is something that I, I thought about and mulled over for a little while. Listen closely to this. Dying to self for the sake of Jesus is a requirement for the followers of Jesus. Jesus said so much. You have to deny yourself if you want to follow me. Denying yourself and dying to self is a requirement for those who follow Jesus. But the awesome thing is, is that being a follower of Jesus makes you joyfully willing to die to self. I'm joyfully willing to put myself aside. Why? Because I know that happily giving up these life's pleasures to follow after Jesus is worth it because our inheritance is so much better than the world's. Our reward is so much sweeter than the world's. Our lives are so much fuller than the world's. So who do you look like? Jephthah or Jesus? Who do you look like? The world or Christ? Ask yourself those questions. Take those questions. Take those four questions home with you. Think about those 
Maybe look at them this week or look at them every so often and think about, right, let me evaluate myself and see who am I looking like, right? Let's pray.